no joke here in Assen. We've had uh, snow on Saturday, racing postponed until Sunday. So as the Paddock Pass podcast sits down to digest the action so far, we actually don't have an awful lot of racing to talk about for this week's show. But uh, luckily, we'll get all of that rolled into one on Sunday with two feature races. But Steve English and Gordon Ritchie, just to talk you through some of what we've seen here in Aston so far. And Gordo, I was lucky enough, I was able to sit up in the commentary box, stay nice and warm. But I saw you down in pit lane in the middle of the snowstorm a few times. I actually had a hat and my jacket on, which never happens because I come from Scotland and it's usually quite cold. And people always laugh that I'm wearing not enough clothes for the prevailing conditions. But yesterday, I had my big puffer jacket on and a hat, and that's never been known. And that's a, the best indication I can give you about quite how cold it was on the ground yesterday. It wasn't just the cold, it was a wind chill. It wasn't just the 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 fact that there was a bit of moisture there. It's the fact that that moisture appeared in horizontal snow being blown by heavy winds. It was, you've never seen so many bemused racers wondering what was going on uh, in a paddock in your life yesterday just because of the conditions, because I don't think any of them have maybe ever been at a racetrack where it snowed. Um, and I I certainly can't remember the last time it happened to me. So a man that's actually been to Knock Hill on numerous occasions yes. hasn't seen snow at a racetrack until he comes to Assen. No, but it, the, not a big international event. and not, uh, I mean, it's April. It's not a winter test in February. This is mid-April. And OK, it's Holland and it gets wet and cold here at any time of year. But... Um, it, it was remarkable yesterday, quite how cold it was. And of course, last week it was lovely. And apparently next week it's going to be lovely. So we've just arrived in Aston at exactly the wrong time for a kind of mini winter again. Yeah, next week the forecast down for 20 degrees. And yeah. Yesterday with the wind chill, we were looking at about 20 Fahrenheit really at one stage. It was very, very weird yesterday. And the big problem that I think maybe some people do understand and some people don't is it's the track temperature that made things so difficult yesterday. If the rain and the snow and everything had landed on a warmer track, that's fine. The, the track surface is the main determinator of, of tyre grip, wet or dry. But in the dry, the really cold is not ideal, but it's still the tyres will still work with a wet tyre on a single-figure degree track. It really doesn't. And yesterday, everybody's got their own figures. They're all measuring their own figures of their tarmac. But the lowest figure I saw for yesterday was three degrees plus on the tarmac. And the wet tyres and a wet track just do not work properly. And that's what people's concerns were. They just weren't going to get any fuel. And therefore, there was just going to be half the fuel crashing. And at, a big, at any track, that's a bad thing. Especially the big, fast uh, flowing corners here, where you're by necessity behind people all the time. Yeah, one person goes down, it could have been really nasty. So there's some people who wanted to race. There's some people who felt it was okay. Um, it's the majority of people I spoke to said it's not worth the risk. Um, but end of the day, race direction called it, and now we've got two full races on Sunday. Who would shocked to that wanted to race? Because from the outside looking in, everyone's going to look at it and say it was snowing. It's a bit ridiculous to want to try and pull on, pull on a race. Jonathan Ray fancied having a go because I think he he thought he would go well in the conditions. He doesn't like the rain, as he said so, but he's I think he would have. Uh, I think he was to go as much to give the fans a show as anything else um, and a few other team managers and, and some, of, some of the old hands as well who are used to uh, the days gone by when things were a bit more rudimentary they were yeah let's just go it's no problem but when it comes to a marginal decision of safety and we might have had a race yesterday that might have been fine 
But when it came to that, I think you've got to go with a safety decision. And Jonathan understood that as well. I think he realised that if, if that was what was happening, okay, I had to stop. Yeah, I have to say, it, for me, it looked like race director made the right decision. And on Sunday here in Aston, we're going to get two big races back to back to the old days of World SBK as well with two races on the Sunday. And here in Aston, hopefully we end up with decent weather for today. It's still cold this morning, but uh, hopefully we're able to get some, some proper racing because it's actually shaping up to be a really interesting day's race. And when you look at the grid, we've got Bautista's on pole, but... That's really fortunate it's because of a red flag that we saw at the end of the Super Bowl session. You've got where Jonathan Ray has been the fastest man all the way through the weekend. He has to come through the pack. You've got the BMWs looking good. Tom Sykes was actually fastest overall on Friday. He's on the second row of the grid. Ryderberger's on the front row of the grid. The Yamaha's look good. It looks like everyone's got a bit of a chance this weekend. I think it's the most open race so far. Okay, we've said that a couple of times. Um, but, you know, when and Batista's ran away with everything. But here... Definitely, although Batista's back on a setup that he seems quite happy with. Um, ultimately, the uh, when you when you look at the the situation of how many other riders are already on bikes that can go fast enough all round the track, with the exception of one or two straights, then we're in for a, a great race. And Aston always ends up with that slipstreaming battle. It's one of the part of the reason that people love it is because you end up with old fashioned multi-rider fights even if it doesn't go right to the very end with 10 of them I've been here when there's been 6, 8, 10 riders for half the race just tripping over each other in the corners trying to stay in contention and not get dropped off eventually it's, it's a magnificent place to go racing here we've got lots of bikes and riders that seem quite on parity and I think the cold temperatures throwing another little potential curveball in there for Batista and Ducati Yeah, the cold weather as we sit here, warm-up's about to start and warm-up's a bit of a misnomer today. Track temperature, two degrees. And the biggest issue for all the teams, for all the riders in these kind of conditions is just trying to manage that tyre, avoid a cold tear. So basically trying to make sure that you get the heat all the way through the tyre. Otherwise, the tyre will just start to tear itself apart. But to try and manage that, these kind of conditions, it's going to be a big ask because even if you think back to Aragon last weekend, we saw Tom Sykes struggled with his rear tyre in a lot warmer track conditions compared to this. Yes, and tyre choices are going to be vital here, front as well as rear. It's one of those tracks where you could also mess your race up by choosing the wrong front tyre. Um, so yes, there's going to be an awful lot of uh, people checking track temperature all the time and looking where it's going. Is it cool? Is it heating up? Is it getting cooler? Tyre choice is going to be very, very uh, tough here. Also because the new generation of uh, Pirelli tyres are some of them are new for uh, for this track for for the season but they're also bigger sizes so there's some of the data may or may not correlate back to next year depending on the riders individual choice of course yeah, and obviously for this weekend Florida, we've seen that bautista looks to have been brought back to the pack a little bit but is there any chance that uh, his run comes to an end we'll all look at it and say that uh, 250 revs have been taken away from the Ducati and that's what's going to make a big difference but do you think is that going to be a factor? I think the 250 revs probably won't make any difference I'm sure Ducati have been gearing up for that after their success from Phillip Island on at least they've been thinking well we might have to lose some revs here um, so I don't think there's going to be any particular engineering reason why it's going to be difficult for them I also think that uh, Bautista wasn't so wasn't quite as fast as the rest of them at the beginning, but that was because he made a major change in his setup, trying to find even more performance for the rest of the season, which 
on the face of it sounds a little bit crazy because why would you change something that's winning by the margins he's been winning by in the last few races and he's answered perfectly logically is we're trying to make the bike better for the future it's a new bike we want to move on but all they did and no matter what they did when they went away from his basic happy setup that he found in the test in Australia that's allowed him to do what he's done so far it was just as he said himself a disaster so if they if they make some subtle mistakes today, if they make a tire choice that isn't quite right, I think he he could be he, he could be caught and, and not just by one rider here. But they're going to have to, to me they're going to have to make mistakes, either in setup or run off track or whatever to allow people to to stay with them. But asking, I'm not writing off the the possibility that Jonathan and one or two others can actually stay with Batista the whole race here. It's not impossible, and Jonathan was. Champion at the bit yesterday, going race in the rain. So I think he's going to be more keen to go racing today. And then obviously you've got Michael Vandermark there as well, and Vandermark in his home round. He's starting from the front row for the first time for Yamaha. He's there in second spot in the grid, and he's going to want to get himself in amongst it as well. And if I'm Alvaro Bautista, the last person I want to see down beside me into turn one here at Aston is going to be number sixty. Yes, and I mean the hometown thing for him is so important. Dutch motorsport, the fans here are unbelievable, they, they've turned out in all this terrible weather, they, they love their motorcycle sport no matter what it is, and Mikey is absolutely flavour of the month, flavour of the year has been for a while, he's been on the podiums here and it, it, it's it's such a big deal, because they the Dutch, unlike for example British fans, don't have six riders that are capable of getting a podium result or better, there's, there's kind of Michael and that's it, he's their standard bearer in this championship as the guy that can go and, and, and get a result. And he's won races, but he's never won one here. So he'll be more keen than anybody else. He's also, can you imagine how many laps he's done around here, even as a kid, in these conditions? It's maybe unusual for World Superbike to come here in quite such cold conditions, but he must have done all sorts of tests, junior training. He, he must know exactly what this track's like in these temperatures. So maybe it's a memory he's going to have from 10 years ago that might help him make some difference today. It's, it's, I think it's fascinating, Michael, here. It's, it's, it's another complete... It's like it's a wild card ride on steroids when Michael comes to Aston. And uh, hopefully we're able to see him get himself, get the elbows out again, because he has won here in the past in Supersport and Stock 600. Yes. And now he feels that he's got that chance on the Superbike to do it, because if you look at his form through this year, like it's easy to look at Michael van der Mark and say it's been a disappointing start to the year. He's been beaten by his teammate in all but one race. But Van der Mark's still sitting fourth in the World Championship. He's had a good start to the year, comes to Assen, and suddenly he can really use this as the springboard for the season. Yes, I mean, this would be the place to let him start putting up a challenge to be, uh, I mean, effectively second in the championship. It's not impossible. I think the problem for all the Yamaha riders is that there does still seem to be some kind of limit on the Yamaha. It, it's a great bike, but there's that little last bit, whether it's actual pure top-end performance, whether it's um, the, the way the engine makes power, there's something that's that's not allowing the Yamaha riders to, to quite compete at the level of last year the Kawasaki and this year the Kawasaki and the, the, the lead Ducati at least. Um, so I think that might be the only thing they need to uh, that I would be concerned about. Otherwise, this should be a great springboard for Michael to take him through the rest of the season. Yeah, it does seem that, obviously, with the Ducati being a new bike, Kawasaki's homologated a new bike and have made some changes to it. But the Yamaha, they've made step-by-step -step progress, but that's a bike that was 
developed in 2015. It's a long time to try and keep that bike competitive. And they are making step by step, getting it closer and closer towards Jonathan Ray in particular. That's been the benchmark really for uh, all those teams because you're able to see the margin between yourself and Ray. Ray might be finishing second in World SBK at the moment, but the gap between him and the Yamahas has come down. Yes, and I think that the thing is that the, the, the progress has been made in the Yamaha. If you look at the Yamaha they first brought, and the bike they have now, this one is so much better. It's better performing, everything about it is just a better package to go racing with. But the changes have been incremental. Um, but because they haven't had that new homologation and suddenly jumped another 500 or 1,000 revs at the top end, given the way the balancing rules are now, you have to run 3% over what you've got as your base road bike. But what hasn't changed is their base road bike. So even though even if they've been allowed to have more revs than, than that technically, you can't just suddenly do it when you don't have the technology inside the engine to let you. Yeah, that's one of the key things that, obviously with Ducati, they've gone out to develop their bike solely around these, these regulations to make sure that they're right on the limit of it. Kawasaki, in all likelihood, will probably try and develop a bike along those lines for the future. Whether or not Yamaha do is a big question mark because do Yamaha have the resources to try and do that? It'd be a big surprise if they did. Well, they do make an M model, but Bizarrely, certainly when they brought it to begin with, that's not the one they used to homologate. They actually just took the stock road bike because the M is like an even higher performance uh, model, but for the street. So it's got lighter wheels and it's got better suspension. All those things go when you take it racing. The basic bike was, was not any different in terms of performance. What, we're, what they're going to have to do if they want to compete Unless they've got stuff that that just keeps coming in and lets them be there higher, uh, is to make a new model. Unfortunately, the one downside of the, of of the evening out of all the the regulations between manufacturers, the the only reason, the only way you're going to be able to make your bike significantly faster in the future is to rehomologate a new one. So we are now into the new era of homologation specials, when we spent a decade or so trying to get away from that and running a kind of more normal bike. Now you see Kawasaki bringing out a subtly new model every year, but only aimed at increased race performance. Ducati's new bike, they've got an 1100cc road bike, but they made a thousand, and when they did that, they decided to make it a lot more racy. Um, it can rev a lot higher because it's a thousand rather than 1100, which is handy given that you've, now you've got a limit on your revs of 3% more than you do. But when you start with an engine, which has got a deliberate design to be much higher rev than everything else, you're staying perfectly within the rules, but you've got a performance advantage at the top. And I would imagine when you look at the map and all the way through, a V4 is a great way of making power for a racing motorcycle. It's linear, it, it feels good under the rider, and it get, delivers power pulses in a kind of tyre-friendly way. So there's a lot of advantages in A having a V4 and B having one that revs as high as that Ducati does. Desmodromic valves, obviously based on a MotoGP engine, however loosely. Um, and a lot of the people sitting in that garage downstairs, or enough of them, have got experience in MotoGP, so they're actually bringing a bit of that technology to this paddock again. Yeah, that's a good thing as well, Gordon, because we've seen that there has been a lot of times where people from World SBK have moved across to MotoGP in the recent years. If you think even for Valentino Rossi, he brought his crew chief in from World SBK, but we haven't seen as much of a transfer from GP back to Superbike as we did in the past. Yes, I mean it's happened a bit this year with a few personnel, but um, what we've done, uh, and again it's one of those background things that's maybe not obvious to see, unless you're here, 
is that there's an awful lot of people in key positions, technical and management, in MotoGP now that came from this paddock. Actually, an awful lot of them, um, because of the four-stroke thing, I would imagine, they ended up taking the four-stroke experts over there. But what it has left here is a bit of a void. As national championships have got a bit more simple and less technologically based, the people that are coming in here aren't trained up in the old-style superbike and adjusting everything, etc. I think that's part of the reason why uh, in this paddock, some people are going harder and better than others as a team package because they've just got more experienced personnel long term and they haven't brought people in from MotoGP to fill the gaps. And that, there, are, there are people here, various teams have brought people this year to, from MotoGP2 here to help, but it, it has to be a paddock wide thing for everybody to, to, to raise themselves up to the to me, to the technical level that they've uh, that they had in the past, and and there's a lot. I mean, that's a very complicated subject. There's a lot of reasons why I've touched on some of them there. And obviously, one of the teams that did make those kind of changes was BMW. They brought in Pete Benson to be crew chief for Marcus Reidenberger. Of course, Benson, former crew chief for Nicky Hayden when he won his World Championship title, Rabat when he won his Moto Two titles, and uh, for the BMW team, we've seen them make massive strides from when we first saw them in uh, pre-season testing until now. Front row start last time out in Aragon for Tom Sykes, front row start this weekend for Marcus Reiderberger. Yeah, I mean Sykes we obviously knew can make anything fly over one lap, but it's obvious that BMW's got an awful lot of uh, good things going on in the chassis. They've now started to start play with the engine and especially the electronics for the engine. They brought their split throttles to Aragon as we know. They are now making the most of that bike dynamically. What they need now is the big step in engine performance. When they get that, they're going to be even even better in races. I think Tom is always going to struggle in races until he ends up getting the same power as most of his rivals, and it doesn't seem that they've got that yet. The biggest and most impressive thing here, I think, was Reiterberger, because when he got on that bike, and he's been a BMW rider forever, superbike and back to superstock and national championship, he's, he's just done BMW since he was a teenager. Ultimately, he started, I think, the first test he did, if my memory serves me, it was 2.7 seconds or something off the fastest guys, which is just miles at this level for a guy like him on a bike like that. And he was he, he looked like a hollow man. And now he's just right there. So whatever they're doing with man and machine mixing it together is now working. But I was slightly worried about Marky. I mean, I know he's a good rider, but I was slightly worried about him. But they've made... I think the proof that that bike is improving all the time is that Reiterberger is nipping on the heels of everybody and uh, I try it like this. Yeah, and that's the big thing for Reiterberger is that's exactly what he has to do as well because once we get through this round, Imola and uh, Haret, suddenly you're into the summer and uh, you're into that time when decisions are being made for next season. Reiterberger needs to show that he's deserving of keeping this ride as well because while the Germans might want to keep him there, Sean Muir just wants to have the best two riders he can in the He does and I think it's important now to have two good riders in your team because you need to work, they need to be at a level close enough to each other that they're, they're data is relevant. If you've got someone that's only one or two tenths off his teammate all the time, even if he's always a slower guy, that that is very useful for a team. If you've got one idea that's going consistently a second faster than the other guy, well the guy who's going slower's data is just 
you don't want to go a second slower, you want to go a second faster. Yeah, that brings us nicely actually to Honda as well because you've got Leon Camier on one bike and Keo and Del Bianco racing on the other Hondas and there is that disparity between Leon Camier and uh, his teammate Keo or suddenly is there enough transfer of data there to be able to really develop that package? We haven't seen any real development from that team so far and uh, they're going to face over the next couple of rounds a lot of questions because they always said the first half of the season that's just about learning then we're going to start making our progress. When you look at how high quality that team is, how much effort's going in, you look at how many Honda people you see there, it is surprising the results are what they are now. I think by now they would be getting more of a handle on it if they were going for performance. There's a whole debate going on about whether that's a kind of lab team, whether they're just doing experiments to be ready for next year, or whether they're, they just thought, well, we'll do a better job of the racing and, and, and work towards next year or whenever they bring out a new model or a heavily revamped model or whatever they're going to do in the future, o on which they're very silent, by the way, unfortunately. What are they going to do next? Well, I think everybody's slightly uh, curious as to why things have worked out the way they are now. They, they, I think everybody's expecting it to be a bit better. Now the concession parts have come in for them, which was triggered at this round. If they brought any, if they're going to bring any in the future, at least now they're able to do that, if they want to do that. They don't, they're not stuck with the same basic technical package that they, they started the season with. But, yeah, I think there has to be a step up from that. It's, it's too good an operation. is a really good rider. Keo, we always thought was more, as much, as well as being here to race, he's also been there as a communication vehicle back to Japan without any filter in native language, understanding what's going on. Um, you know, someone they can really help develop a bike with more than anything else. But, yeah, I think everybody's expecting a wee, a wee bit more on track. And who knows what we're going to get soon. Who knows? But that Honda is a very old design. Very old design. And the previous team might have had individual better results here and there, but um, they had a lot more experience of that bike in this, tra in, in, in this paddock. Honda's actually come in, but it's like a new team, almost like a new setup, because there's basically no one there. And all their superbike experience elsewhere is different rules, different tyres, different suspension. So, but with the resources I've got, it doesn't look under-resourced. You, you would expect to start putting results in at least via Cameo sometime soon. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you can hear the superbikes in the background, just the warm-up starting at uh, this time at Assen. But uh, Gordo, just looking at uh, Honda, the next logical step, we're here in Assen. And uh, we were able to catch up with Kervin Boss and Tenkades this weekend as well. What did they have to say? Well, they're, they're super motivated, obviously. They, they, I think they, were, they feel quite aggrieved at the way that they exited the championship at the end of last year. I think it was a genuine surprise to them, that especially the timing and everything else. Yes, they're not, they weren't very happy at all about what happened to them, but they're absolutely hyper-motivated to come and show what they can do. They're, they're one of the teams that's the heart and soul of this championship and have been for a long time. Um, always incredibly ambitious and I don't think anything's changed uh, whether they're going to be able to do the same job in a quick time scale on the Yamahas as they, they did on the Hondas for all those years I mean they won I think nine World Supersport Championships and one World Superbike Championship with a very homemade bike at that time okay it's a long time ago um, but there's an awful lot of capabilities with those guys an awful lot of knowledge uh, but the thing that's quite scary is looking at the, into their eyes for the motivation because those guys really want to come back and show certain people what, what they can do. 
Yeah, and you can imagine just who they're looking to show that to as well. And uh, moving to the Yamaha, really, it's about as big of a sign that they can show just how serious they are as well. They really want to stick it to on the easiest way to do that, go to your biggest rival. Yes, and I think they, I mean, everybody makes the assumption, and I was just the same, that part of the reason they did that was because obviously they've also got the wing of their company, which is in, in race tuning, and Yamaha's got a very nice, small capacity, one, two, five, three hundred, six hundred thousand range that they can do their tuning magic and put parts onto, which is part of what they do um, as an overall group of people. Um, but they kind of put me straight on that. They said, yes, that's, they said, but that was a secondary consideration that the fact there's this great range of Yamaha bikes you can tune more than the, 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 the people they used to race with um, as it stands. But mostly they said, we just thought the Yamaha was the best way of arriving here on a, on a pretty sorted bike so they could be competitive, as competitive as possible right away and then be able to, to, to go in a, maybe a different direction from the factory and tune in and see what they can bring with all their experience. So it's, the, the choice of Yamaha was an interesting one. Um, and I think they will, they will want to be the top team one day. I think that's their ultimate ambition. In fact, I'm sure it's their ultimate ambition. And obviously with Tankati, we've seen in the past that they've always ran in the Supersport class for a long time, a lot of world championships in Supersport, nine world titles. But talking to the team, they've also said that long term, the goal is they want to be in the 300 class, they want to be in the Supersport class and in the Superbike class. Yeah, they want to have a, a complete uh, organic thing where they, st they can bring young riders in, bring them through and basically be able to have to cover all bases and have Tenkata in every single class, which makes sense. If you were a, if you had the resources to do that, you would want to do that. Tenkata are going to feel pretty confident that they're going to be able to spring some surprises because when you look down where Melandry has been the last couple of rounds, he's been down around that 12th, 13th, 14th spot. Sandro Cortese's had a lot of real signs of his kind of potential, but package is the key word there, Gordo, as well. If you look at uh, up and down the grid, we've seen Chaz Davis start to come good on his Ducati V4R, but so we're going to hear from Chaz as to what he has to say about that and a couple of other bits and pieces. But thanks for joining us, Gordo, and uh, hopefully today in Aston we'll see some good racing. And uh, until the next time on the Paddock Pass podcast, we'll leave you with Chaz Davis. Chaz Davis joining us on the Paddock Pass podcast and Chaz just uh, we're sitting here in Assen ahead of round four but uh, through the opening three rounds of the year it's been a bit of a challenge for you but there's been a lot of change new crew chief new bike a lot of new people around you and uh, a winter where you were still recovering from, from some injuries yeah definitely it's been as you said a week a winter of changes um, a lot of things to take in and and learn really um, so firstly starting from well, even myself getting ironed out from the injuries that I picked up from last year that kind of dragged on a little bit and then it had a, a back twinge in January so that, that, those were some of the biggest stumble, stumbling blocks in our pre-season um, and then yeah obviously the new bike um, it's not ideal uh, testing in in November I was you know, just getting injections just to get me around the track really which is never ideal just to just to take the the pain away a little bit but um yeah i had a new crew chief to learn as well so it's somebody that i've worked with he's been in the suspension end for five years or actually he's been in the suspension end all his life but i've worked with him for five years and so i knew, knew him very well but he has crossed over uh this year to being in the crew chief position because my previous crew chief made a um like a lifestyle decision to 
to um, move to to Yamaha um, because he he basically lives close to the factory and he was fed up with travelling up and down to Bologna all the time. So he joined the Yamaha and it left the door open for somebody to fill his shoes. And uh, Luca Franzoi um, joined joined on my side of the garage which was the logical move he was interested in doing the crew chief role after doing basically a lifetime of suspension so yeah um a lot of changes um but to be honest it's the the crew chief change has been fairly smooth he as i said he's somebody i've worked with for a long time so it's not like i'm completely learning a new person that's just stepped into the ducati pit it's somebody who's been there for a long time he's well trusted by all the all the guys in Ducati know him very well, and he's 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 got their trust. So um, yeah, that was that was the easy bit. But then just figuring out this puzzle of uh, getting me up to speed on the V4 has been a bit more of a challenge. So yeah, that's where we're up to about now. Can you just explain the big difference between the V4 and the old Panigale V-twin as well? Just like in terms of what it feels like for character from the engine, from the from the bike in general. Yeah, it's very different. Obviously, completely different. You know, with the twin, you get a lot of, you feel a lot of the pulses through the engine, through your through your hands, through your feet. And I remember when I first jumped on that in uh, it was the end of 2013 that um, you know I questioned whether that was that was right. But now, after five odd years of or five seasons of riding that bike, that's second nature to me. The the, the twin feeling, and it's it's so different. And then jumping on the the V4, it seems like. Uh, somebody's anaesthetized the bike a little bit it's been uh, it's been numbed and you don't feel those pulses quite as much through the through your hands and through your feet through your ass so um yeah definitely different just from that point of view and that's just the bare 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 bones of it so when you get riding the first thing that was obvious to me is jumping on the v4 is it's you know it's designed with track racing in mind um it's very precise doesn't have a lot of movement and um whereas the, the twin had a bit more flex to it and then you know, that can that can be a positive or a negative depending on your style or um or whatnot so it's one of those things that you just have to learn how to for me having spent you know, a long time on a softer bike then getting to grips with the stiffness of the the v4 and it's not like it's crazy stiff or anything like that it's just different so i had adapted my style to work with the twin and there's something ingrained in me now where i have to kind of come back the other way and and try and figure that out and then from a power character point of view the v4 is it's fuller so to speak it's it's got a bit more down low and it's and it revs on up top whereas the twin was always okay down low but the the battle we always had with the the twin was trying to get the best performance out of the top end and keeping the the natural torque of a two-cylinder down the bottom that was always the trade-off it was you could never have one and 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 uh, sort of keep the other didn't work like that so um i would say this feels obviously the strong point on the v4 is that it's got a lot of top end um and it revs on and it's got the bottom end as well um so different power character bigger rev range but ultimately you know I think the twin was even though it was quite old by the time it had been well developed by the time it was finished it had been well developed and it was it was a great bike so um, massive feeling uh, massive feeling change between the two bikes but in terms of getting around a racetrack we we haven't le- leapt ahead 10 years yet um, I need to still find my feet with the V4 so it's coming 
just when you look back over your career you always seem to bounce from one bike to the other one manufacturer to the other until you ended up on the twin is there something there as well about obviously you've had to adapt through your career but maybe over five years being able just to find more and more the limit from yourself more and more from the limit from your bike that it's a bit harder now to make that change immediately to the V4 yeah probably I don't think it's so much to do with the years that I've spent on the the twin and sort of um, and getting ingrained or getting the twin ingrained in me but it is more that that is a character trait of me it's it, it generally take my time to learn a new bike and will take my time to figure it out and what I need what I need from the bike what the bike needs from me um, sometimes that can take me a, li- a little while so and I think that after having spent five seasons on the twin then it's sort of natural to think that you know, maybe it's going to take a bit of time to to learn the new bike because the twin's ingrained in me but I think it's part of my character as well it's not just that it's it's a bit of that but it's part of my my character so um but it is a long time as well and that was in 2014 when I moved across to Ducati for the first time that was something I was looking for I started off with a two-year contract so that continuity was the to me that was the best thing about my my signing was that finally I can spend two years on the same bike and now it's been well it had been five seasons so that was what I was looking for because I knew it would make a difference it's like it's no good jumping on one bike because I have that character where maybe I don't get to grips with things straight away that I need time to figure it out and then by the time you just get going the, the season's finished so um, I knew it would take them two seasons for me to get to get it dialed and then it's you know only got better from there so um, yeah now the, the V4 I'm in the same position again I'm I'm uh, at the start of a two-year contract with um, using the V4 so I expect to, you know, to grow as, as the project grows I'll grow grow with it we saw already this season if you think back to Sunday in Thailand you didn't get the results to show for because of a red flag, flag and a technical but from Sunday in, Ar- in Thailand all the way through to the Aragon test to the Aragon weekend there's been pretty steady progress for you yeah it was massive I think that Saturday to Sunday in Thailand was the first real step of progress that I've made in quite a while Phillip Island was a little bit going in circles but not getting a difference um, up until Thailand Sunday was a bit the same and then we changed simply just riding position for Sunday um, and we didn't really make any more change we actually didn't make any electronic changes or actually any chassis changes at all we just changed my riding position on the bike and I dropped overnight I think it was the best part of consistently seven eight tenths it was huge and I then started to get a bit of a feeling that you know things are changing that's something really positive there but I still wasn't completely happy with where the chassis was so it took until that was a sort of step one and then we went to Aragon test and then that was step two of being like right where do we need this front wheel and then we kind of put the puzzle together a little bit and I've had a better feeling ever since there's still space to improve but yeah it was definitely in just a couple of days on track the huge changes so the good thing for you as well is Aragon's obviously one of your favourite tracks but you come to us and Emily you've had a lot of success, success as well so you're in that stage of the season now where you could get some momentum behind you as well yeah that's the plan hopefully we can just carry on from where we were at Aragon you know get back in the mix is the main thing just 
in Thailand race two I could sort of see it wasn't the podium group with Johnny and Alex but it was the next group down the road which wasn't too different with pace and I was there thereabouts with them but not particularly easily um and then being there again last weekend up in the mix we've had some good races so yeah it was good to be back there again and yeah hopefully we'll stay there obviously for any rider whenever you look to the other side of the box and your teammates won a lot of races it's tough but how are you dealing with it yeah fine actually um i'm seriously competitive person but there's something about alvaro coming across it's not that's not been my focus for this year uh, and even though he's absolutely killing it and winning everything and um, you know, and really sort of changing the, the face of this championship a little bit it's that's not my I'm not looking at him and, and getting frustrated by it at all um, which for somebody who's as competitive as what I am it's not really not really me that to be honest but it, I'm more worried about getting the most out of myself um, with this bike I when I want to when I leave the track if I leave the track and right I got absolutely everything out of myself the bike was set up perfect then I might be looking across at the other side of the garage and going oh, I'm still like 10 seconds behind at the end of the race or whatever but at the minute it's not like that I'm still progressing myself I still feel like we're, we're improving the bikes so until that point comes um, you know I just I just want to get to the point where I do feel like I can ride as I want to ride and get the best out of myself that's that's the target now it's not looking across at the other side of the garage and it's just yeah figuring things out for myself really Is that at least where Aragon was good because you were back in that fight with Johnny like we've seen you over the last few years it brings you at least closer to the level you sort of expect Yeah yeah definitely uh, being back up in the mix I think probably our race pace was a bit quicker this year um, than in the past I haven't actually checked it but I guess it probably is um and yeah, just being up in the mix again, Johnny has been, you know, unbeatable at the end of last season. Nobody really raced him. Um, and we're back up there in the mix. He wasn't ahead of us. I felt like, to be honest, that um, I kind of threw away the chance of a double second, but I'll take a double third for the, the start of the season that I've had. So um, yeah, we were there. He was, he was, um, he was able to be beaten and that's the main thing that we're at least back up in that fight again and I really enjoyed the races as well I thought they were great races and you know, any opportunity that I had to stick it up the inside of somebody I took it and it was just nice to be back up in the, the mix again What do you think of the state of the championship as well like you've been racing in World SPK for seven eight years now but uh, when you look around the grid now deeper grid than we've seen for a long time we've got more manufacturers coming back like it looks positive for the championship yeah, I think so. I think it looks good. Um, I think, like you said about the manufacturers, there's a not just manufacturers here, but they're here properly. They're not you know, with a, a supported team. They are. There's a lot of manufacturers here with a full factory effort. Basically, basically all the heavy hitters are here with factory efforts, which has maybe been lacking in the past. Um, and for the last couple of years, it's been Yamaha, Ducati, and uh, Kawasaki. But now there's there's definitely more depth to it to that there's other guys on good bikes um, so yeah it's good from that point of view I think it's I think the, the health of the championships really really good at the minute the, the probably well, probably one one uh, problem that we have at the minute is Alvaro's come in and he's dominated so much that maybe it doesn't look um, from the outside I think a lot of people question the, the rider level and everything like that but I know that um well, my opinion is that you've got a perfect storm at the minute of Alvaro coming in super confident um, with 
a great bike with a great team and everything like that so it's just like he's on that wave and he's at the top of it and I think that he could he can stay there and he's not gonna he's not gonna become slower at any point but I, I don't know how much faster he can get <laughs> I hope not too much faster because well he's making us look average at the minute and yeah we'll we'll have to see sort of how it plays out but um yeah, I think that that's probably the only thing that maybe for the state of the championship that that kind of marks it a little bit because there's been good racing the start of this year. We've taken Alvaro out of the equation. There's been good racing, so it's all up to us to try and bridge that gap to him and and hopefully make it a bit better. Just a couple other questions for you as well, Chaz. But uh, when you look at the new format for this weekend, three races in the weekend, what do you think of the sprint race now, the Super Bowl race on Sunday morning? Yeah, I'm. I'm not really, not really into it much. I don't. I just don't think it's necessary. We already race 24 times a year in the past, and now we race 39 times a year. Has that sprint race given any value at the start of this year? Not really. I felt like the race, the main races, have been better, and the sprint race. You know, everybody goes that bit harder, and because you can, you can get away with it. With the, you know, you, you, know you haven't got to have a tire that lasts for 20 laps. 10 is. You can give it as much grief as you want and it's not going to give up so I, I just don't see the point in it so much and I don't see there's points being paid for it that don't really need to be and um, I don't know it's I'm just not seeing the value in it that's but I've enjoyed the sprint races actually but I'm, I just don't see the value in it from outside I think if you have two main races or or even or even one as is proven in MotoGP you only need one good one and everybody goes home happy you don't need three and then just one last question as well obviously the next round home round for Ducati and pretty much a home round for you as well at this stage but uh, what's it feel like whenever you arrive at Imola as a factory Ducati rider and in the past there's been that expectation the pressure to keep winning races there what what does Imola mean for you? Yeah actually it's become probably my favourite race of the season because I turn up there and I feel like rock star for a start Um, you get just a lot of people that love love Ducati they've appreciated what I've done over the years uh, sat on top of one of their their most prized possessions so um, for me yeah Imola is one of the most special races of the year it's not only um, because the results have been good but just the general atmosphere around the place it's you just feel that Italian that Italian love really for 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 the brand for Ducati and, and now for myself which is something that I don't really get anywhere else even Mazzano it's not the same um, it's just really strictly Imola that I get that sort of buzz from it so yeah it's um, it's a, a great race as well and thankfully I've had I've managed to put like some great results over the year doing the double in 16 and the double in 17 as well so those days I actually genuinely have thought on all at the end of each of those weekends that just you just pinch yourself because there's no feeling like it you've done the business in front of the manufacturer that gave me the opportunity to to do to just kind of showcase myself it's sort of a little bit payback on that day where everything's just gone right and everybody's happy because it's in Italy and the pressure's on but it's you're able to come out the other side of it with a double win so yeah it'd be nice if we can do a repeat of that this year okay thanks for joining us Josh thanks